previously on Here's What I've Heard. For all its faults, the Milton Hershey School has been a haven of opportunity for over a hundred years. In 1929, Milton Hershey himself told the Brooklyn Eagle, quote, those boys must grow up with the feeling that they have a real home. I asked Jerry and Paul if they thought he succeeded. It's like Jerry said, uh, it may not have been the best as far as a family life or anything like that. He never said the word but, but he doesn't have to. It's hanging in the air between us. This is radio though, so I'll say it for him. But if, if I could go back to being that age and knowing what I know now, I would not have left Pratt Nursery. About three months after Tommy Kaler hit the Klein family car while driving drunk, his court-appointed lawyer implored Judge Meredith Wilson to dismiss the case. On February 1st, 1966, the Hanford Sentinel reported, Arguments for dismissal of a felony manslaughter charge against Thomas Leon Kaler were continued until next Monday in Kings County Superior Court with the observation by Superior Court Judge Meredith Wilson that both attorneys might have to come to court better prepared. Kaler, 23, is charged with felony manslaughter with gross negligence in a two-car collision along the Avenal cutoff last November. In court yesterday, attorney Willis Mevis argued that while there is no doubt persons are dead, quote, probably due to a car accident, end quote, Evidence at the preliminary hearing failed to establish that Kaler was the driver of a car involved in the collision. Continuance was granted at the request of both Mevis and District Attorney Edwin Verzel to allow Wingrove time to study counter-arguments by Verzel and additional legal points which Mevis said he wishes to submit. Meanwhile, on the opposite side of the country, the two boys that Kaler orphaned were being ping-ponged between their family members, the subjects of an increasingly bitter custody battle. Jerry, my father and the older of the two brothers, was a quiet child. Um, well, your dad was not, uh, he was, uh, very quiet, uh, didn't speak loud, he, uh, Kind of on the shy side more, you know? Mm-hmm. Sounds and like, like I said, totally opposite of his brother, Paul. Paul was just outgoing, and I, I, they used to come to visit uh, during the summer. Uh, I got them a couple times that they came up, and uh, we had them for maybe two weeks in the summer sometimes uh, when they were still with... Uh, 
my mother and no, when my mother and dad got them for vacation from Hershey, mm-hmm. they would uh, bring them up so that they could come and visit with Aunt Doris. That's Doris, Jerry and Paul's aunt. She says that Paul, the younger of the two, was a sensitive and kind child, albeit a bit of a troublemaker, a characterization he does not dispute himself. But before they were sent back to Pennsylvania, before Tommy Kaler sent their lives spiraling down a very different path, Paul and Jerry lived in California with their father, a handsome veteran, and their mother, a bright young woman who, before motherhood, once participated in the science fair and twirled a baton. And they had a baby sister, Robin, who smiled brightly and captivated the hearts of her extended family. Whether it's due to their age at the time or the injuries they sustained, we don't know. But Paul and Jerry don't remember much about this time. Before the accident, I only remember little things. Here's my dad, Jerry. Um... Just from the pictures that I received from my uncle, um, I just remember that Christmas. I don't remember what Christmas it was, but I remember coming out and seeing all the gifts sitting around and being amazed about how many gifts we had. The photo he's referring to is another gift from Uncle Lloyd, Linda's brother. In it, Jerry and Paul are standing in front of a pile of wrapped gifts and two brand-new, shiny red bicycles. Just like in every other photo of him around his age, my dad is giving the camera an obligatory smile. Uncle Paul is wiping the sleep from his eyes. Instead of a live Christmas tree, a small silver replica sits on a nearby table. I recently searched the photo for clues as to where it might have been taken, Lamore or Avenal. I noticed a jumping PlayStation poking its way into the photo. You've probably seen them before. A circular contraption with a fabric seat hanging in the middle. Parents plop their baby's squishy little legs through the holes of the seat so they can bounce on their tiptoes and entertain themselves with whatever toys are on either side of the PlayStation. Both boys had long outgrown that sort of thing by that point, so I can only assume it belongs to Robin. So, there was my answer. She only lived to celebrate one Christmas, and it was in Avenal. That's all Jerry remembers from his life before the accident. I remember somebody taking a uh, picture, like seeing me watching TV, and I just remember them kept taking pictures of my head. So, like, I was watching TV, and I just see pictures, people at the side taking pictures of the side of my head and stuff. So. Why do you think they were doing that? Because they wanted to show the scar. Oh. Apparently, the scar ran all the way back at one point, but most of it's gone away. Mm -hmm. Paul also has a similar reminder of that night. I have uh, a scar that goes up my forehead and back to about the center of the top of my head. Despite their matching scars, Jerry and Paul had very different experiences upon arriving in Pennsylvania. If you haven't listened to episode 5 yet, make sure you do. That's where we cover their time at the Milton Hershey School, a private boarding school for orphan boys. But to refresh your memory, Paul was often at odds with house parents, teachers, and administrators, and the school eventually separated the two boys. 
They split us up because they thought that my brother was going to be a bad influence on me, um, even though he was a year younger. Uh, they didn't want us together. Um, he then got transferred several times after that. It was harder for me to see him. I would see him at recess every day at school, but then during the summer I wouldn't see him until like, we went on vacation together. It wasn't long, though, before Jerry stopped seeing Paul at their grandparents' house, too. And then my grandfather didn't want to take him anymore. So it was just me going to my grandparents' house. While the Milton Hershey School was responsible for the boys' food, clothing, lodging, and education, Jerry says their legal guardian was technically the bank that handled their trust. I just recalled, like, how cold and callous is that, that I have a bank. And, but the thing was, it was the best thing. So someone would come up to us and say, uh, so-and-so wants to take you. Generally, it was like, okay, I'm going on vacation, I'm going with Grandma, okay? So, um, but, like one time my Uncle Jim said, I want to take him, um, and a bank asked me, and I said, okay. And um, my Uncle Jim took us, and he didn't take one penny from the bank. He gave all the money to me. But it was a really safe thing to do because, honestly, my grandmother would kept calculating and showing me numbers. This is how much money you're going to have. And she would, she would, like, miscalculate. She would, like, tell me I'd have 150000 you know, and stuff like that. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even near that at all. It was, like... It was very small. It wasn't very small, but it was enough to get me through college with not working a lot and just, uh, you know, buying myself things and keeping myself fed. Mm -hmm. Paul might have done something similar had he stayed at Milton Hershey, but around sixth grade, he left the school to live with his Aunt Alice, despite warnings from Jerry. I went on a couple vacations with her, but my grandmother told me, you know, beware of her. She. She was just out to get trust, the trust money mm -hmm. that we had, which really, in hindsight, wasn't all that much money. But she wanted it for the business, and uh, so I steered away from her. My brother wanted a family, so he he signed out, and he wanted out of the he wanted out of Milton Hershey. So Paul begged his brother to come along, but Jerry refused to budge. But here's the thing, like. My Aunt Alice was after that money because she thought we had like tons of money. So she was after that. And my grandmother kept telling me, she's after the money. You need to stay away from her. And even when we were little kids, I would not go near her. And for me, for me, I was a shy kid. For me to actually be rude to an adult was really tough for me because I was like, I can't. I just can't go with you. And my brother's like, well, who am I going to play with? And I said, Paul, Grandma told us to stay away from her. I said, if you want a family and you want to go with her, fine, go ahead. And he did. So why did you decide to leave Mount Hershey? I wasn't given a choice. Uh... I was told for the good of Melton Hershey that I was a reprobate and uh, 
bad influence on everybody else. And my Aunt Alice had agreed to take me in. And they gave me, they gave me a choice. And I was too young and dumb. And she was all hugs and smiles and sweetness and light. And I fell for it. So I agreed. And that was the start of a miserable chapter in my life. But Alice and her husband John enrolled Paul in a public school, but soon put him to work at her family's trash pickup business on the weekends and during the summer. Fairly quickly, the relationship between Paul and his aunt and uncle began to unravel. Yeah, he never he never got along with Alice, but Alice isn't an easy person to get along with. They had about, I don't know, they eventually had 10 trash trucks, but at the time I don't re- recall how many they had, but they had a trash business and basically um, was taking Paul's money and putting it into their trash business mostly. They didn't really ever, like, he would, I would always go over there and he'd be eating, you know, withered up food and have bad clothes on and, and, you know, of course he became an outcast of school probably because he was wearing outdated clothes and stuff that was too short on him and all this other stuff, so. Paul says that while Alice and John were forcing him to work on the trash routes with no pay, they were also pocketing the money being sent from the trust every month. Just a heads up, the next few minutes contain descriptions of violence and abuse that may not be suitable for some listeners. Uh, I, I, I was basically paying them to be their slave. So, just tell me what you want about that. For the first, I don't know, couple months, things were neat, things were great. I went to a new school. Uh, there were girls there. It's like, wow, girls exist. So that was good. But then uh, her husband, John, had a trash truck company. And after the first couple months of living there, I was then every weekend on the back of a trash truck working. Uh, I was never paid. I was never given an allowance. And they got a crap load of money for me every month. And I remember any any time John thought I was lying about anything, I got a beating. And it was with anything he could get a hold of. Uh, there were several beatings with broomsticks. Uh, the worst, the worst beating I ever got was. I went to school the next day, and they actually made me spend the day at the nurses station because he had cut the fiberglass. Uh, flagpole off a bicycle and I had two inch tall welts 
from the top of my calves to the back of my neck, to the base of my neck. It was I was just one big layer upon layer of welts standing that far off the back. And of course, nothing happened. Uh, yeah, I remember asking them, you know, what has that, what what happens to since I work every weekend on the back of a trash truck that you're not paying somebody, what happens to my to the money that is they're getting for you know for keeping me? And their answer was, it goes into a fund or into a, an account, and it's yours when you turn 18. When you leave the house, it's yours. That, of course, was a lie. Uh, I remember Alice used to come up with excuses to walk into the bathroom when I was taking a bath. Uh, I remember the one beating was she thought I had stolen she was a Avon representative and the one beating was that she thought I had stolen a whole bunch of makeup which I couldn't understand why but evidently either she figured I was wearing it or selling it in school I don't know which uh, the day I left was the day she came after me with a butcher knife and I don't even remember why I remember just about everything we ate with stuff that they saved off the garbage route. He would pick up the ends of the bologna and the donuts and the, the unmar you know, the labels off the cans of food. And that's what we made, that's what she fixed for supper. Uh, yeah. I, just re I was telling her about the one Thanksgiving when I came, and you probably don't remember. We were sitting at the little table, and I said, and we were bigger, though, at right. the time. And I said, why is this corn, like, kind of chewy or something? Or it didn't look right. Right. And you said, it's off the trash, and that's when I found out yeah. that she had been. And his clothes were always, like, like, you would go visit, and his clothes were always, like, this T-shirt on him. And so, like, try to go to a high school like that with those places. Oh, yeah. I never... And you get it, picked on and crap like that. I never had... They never bought me clothing. I wore what was on the trash route. If, you'll, if you find my one, my one class picture, I am dead center in the middle of everybody. And I'm wearing a pair of... Uh, blue and white striped pants that were probably in fashion 30 years before me. And that's what they were sending me to school in. Once, while Jerry and Paul were away at summer camp, 
Paul confessed to his older brother that he'd taken something small from a store. He said that when Alice and John found out, they beat him with a broom handle. His back was like a whole thing of bruises. And uh, after he told me about it, they picked us up at the camp. We go to the store, and my brother picks up a balloon off the floor, a one that had broken out of the package. He's squeaking his balloon, and I kept telling him, put it away, put it away. Well, of course. So we get back to my Aunt Alice's house, and this was basically, I was very salty at this point towards her. Like, I basically, she knew I was staying there just to visit him. So she she asks him where he gets the balloon, and he tells her, and she goes, well, I guess you didn't learn from the last time. You know what happened the last time. After Paul's confession, Jerry knew exactly what that meant. And I had heard this, and I turned around, and I actually said to her, and I'm not lying, I said, I will run away from Milton Hershey and come back. I will run away. If that happens again, I will come back here. Like, I don't know what comes over me, but it was like, I'm just like, I will do it. I will come back here, and I will beat the shit. Okay. And I was old enough to do it because he was not, he was an old man by then, but I would have found something because mm-hmm. that was ridiculous. Alice suffers from dementia, so I was unable to speak to her about these incidents, and John is no longer living. During Paul's time with them, Jerry was still attending Milton Hershey. At one point, his father's youngest sister, Jill, offered to adopt him. She'd been too young at the time of the accident to take them in. But Jerry was a junior in high school now, and he'd grown close to her three daughters. Yeah. Well, they wanted to do it because um, they just, they lived right there with my grandparents at the time, and they had just taken over the house, and uh, my my cousins really, we got along really well, my, co- my cousin Annette, and Becky and Dulcie, we got along really well, and they really liked me a lot, and uh, I guess they had something to do with and Jill, I guess Jill was too young at the time when my parents died to really help me. Um, and I, maybe she felt that she could help me out. Jerry had just joined the Glee Club, which was not an easy feat. He'd been looking forward to performing with the group for years. A slot in the Glee Club meant opportunities to travel outside of Hershey and a more lenient set of house parents. Plus, he only had two more years until graduation. So, and uh, I appreciated the gesture, but I felt bad because I, I really wanted to finish out Mel Nershi. So much so that he rarely went back to Anvil those last two years. Towards the end, I didn't go home at all because my, grand, my grandfather couldn't drive anymore. His eyesight was too bad, so I just didn't go home. Like mm-hmm. the last, my last year at Mel Nershi, I didn't go home. I just stayed there mm-hmm. Christmas and... Easter, I just stayed there. As Jerry was preparing for college, Paul was preparing to leave his Aunt Alice. He found a temporary home with the family of one of his public school classmates, the Masons. But her father was a devout Christian, and they asked Paul to leave when they discovered his agnostic attitude. He'd only been there six months. Their daughter was amazing. Uh, I fell in love with her instantly, but anyway, she was col- she was in college at the time, mm. but uh, 
and she taught me a little bit on how to play a guitar but no they were they were total hypocrites and they found out that I wanted nothing to do with the Christian religion so I was instantly evil incarnate for the next four months Paul took what was left of his money and rented a mobile home he also invested in a hotel restaurant but things didn't go as planned. So, Paul joined the Army. 13 Foxtrot Alpha 1. I was an artillery scout. They called us the greatest killer on the battlefield. 13 seconds and you can destroy anything. You know, my husband was an artillery. No, I didn't know he was an artillery. He was a gun buddy. He was a gun, oh my God, <laughs> bang bang. 13 Bravo. My husband was in the Marine Corps, not the Army. And he was really good at blowing stuff up. So was my Uncle Paul, apparently. And I was actually very good at it. I didn't get to do any of it, mm -hmm. but I was at, except for training. training. And we ran around Fort Ord, California for a while, uh, a couple months out there doing training. That was fun, mm -hmm. running around in a sand pit and blowing things up. After two years in the Army, Paul went to live with Doris, who was now living in Canada with her husband and children. But, as he was known to do, Paul let his ornery flag fly. He, he spent a year with us, and knowing how Paul was, my husband told him, no guns, no knives, nothing like that, Paul. If you come up, you're welcome to come up, but don't bring any weapons. You, all you're going to do is get yourself in trouble if you do. Mm-hmm. What does Paul do? He breaks down the rifle in pieces and has it packed in his suitcase when he comes up. And my husband was just furious. Even so, Doris and her husband Don allowed him to stay. Once again, Paul found himself working for one of his family's businesses. But this time, he actually enjoyed it. And while I was up there, everything went fine. I was working for Uncle Don, learning from Kurt, on how to redo houses and build bath, make nice, fancy-ass bathrooms and build cabinetry and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, Paul stayed and he stayed with us and he worked with uh, with my husband and and my sons in contracting. And uh, he was thrilled when he worked. They did a job for a, a French lady. Uh, her name was Monique something, I can't remember the last name, but Monique thought he was just so cute and kept calling him her petit chou. <laughs> he came back and wondered, you know what a petit chou was. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I told him what it was, a little cabbage. <laughs> he, he was just enamored, you know, by her, uh -huh. paying so much attention to him. A nice looking boy, you know, mm -hmm. uh, very handsome, very, very much looking like uh, like his dad. And I learned a lot, and uh, to the point where I actually went and applied for Canadian citizenship. And they told me, "Well, you go home, and we'll get in touch with you." And I said, "No problem." They said, "No, you go home back to the states," which is why I had to leave Canada. Paul never returned to Canada. Instead, he continued to search for his place in the world, trying his hand at different business ventures before finally settling on a career in welding. 
honestly think I was left behind to protect him half the time, but it didn't really work out that way. Cause Do you think that they would have, the reason that you went to Milton Hershey is because they wanted to send him and, and they wanted to send you to take care of him? Is that what you mean? No, I think I actually survived the accident because I was left on Earth to help get my brother through. I mean, we were both put in the school um, at the same time, and I spent my whole time like just getting him out of fights and trying to keep him out of trouble. I'm trying to keep my brother protected and trying to keep him out of trouble, and I can't do it because he won't, he wouldn't help himself. He would just keep doing shit and get himself in trouble. And, and the day that they told me that he was leaving, I started to cry and the guy's like, why are you crying? I go, because it's like, it's like this is what he wanted, that I don't have to keep looking out for him and get like, People keep beating him up because he won't shut his freaking mouth, you know? He used to tell, he used to say, Jerry got everything. Got the looks. Got the voice. Got the smarts. Now, like, like he's in the trades and stuff, so he makes he makes pretty good money, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't think that thing anymore about the smarts, but... For me, I always thought that he was like, he was just such a loving person. Like, you, you just he cares a lot, you know what I mean? So, he's got that going for him. <laughs> that and so much more. Life is pretty good right now. Uh, it has some very negatives to it. My wife uh, has CLL, chronic lymphocystic leukemia. She probably has about a year to live. Uh, We have a nice little nine-acre farm where we are one of the only two registered breeders of Idaho pasture pigs in Pennsylvania. So we're starting that. We're pretty much into that right now. Uh, Breeding our pogs and selling the the, 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 uh, piglets raising some for meat. We have a whole bunch of chickens. We have uh, black ostrilorps. It's a dual purpose chicken. And we're breeding and selling those and selling the eggs. Right now they're totally paying for themselves. That's right up uh, something that is good for him. He often talked, you know, if he had his way, he'd be a mountain man. He'd go and live in the mountains all by himself and live off the land. And this was his idea of what life should be. When he's not on the farm with his wife, Jay, he's a freelance welder with a solid reputation throughout the region. I'm doing very, very, very well. I've already cut about 15 years off our mortgage. So it won't be but another three years till the farm's paid off. Uh, For someone who barely graduated, I'm doing very well. Tell me the story again about your wedding dance. Oh. I love that story. Being a millwright and a welder, I can't wear a gold band. 
a metal band, it would get caught in the machinery, it would glove my finger. Mm-hmm. It would just take all okay. And welding, if you arc out on your weld on your on a welding band, it'll literally melt this, the band into your finger. So I asked her to make us a to make our wedding bands out of doing her beadwork and to put a story in it. So she put this one in. That it starts off at a dark spot with her life going one way and my life going the other way with the blue arrows to where our lives meet. Forming an hourglass. And as for my dad, he finished college and started a long career in management. Well, my whole life was based on my father loved education. He graduated from high school. He got his, I mean, he got his GED or whatever, but he was all about education. So when I heard that, I was like, I gotta go to college. You know what I mean? I gotta go to college. I gotta get an education. So that's that was my that was my drive to do that. So, no, there wasn't anything else in my brain that I wanted to do. You know, these are the stories I hear from my grandmother, so this is what I wanted to do. So I, because I knew. See, I never got those stories. Yeah. Well, they didn't take you after a while, so. I never. Yeah, Pappy didn't want you around for a while. I guess I was too much like him. Yeah. Yeah, he was an ass. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I, I, hey. I didn't I, mean it like that. Hey. I was just kidding. Hey. No, I'm just a sneaky little smile. He's like, what a, I was what just a, kidding. What, <laughs> one, of my, one of my best jokes, one of my best jokes is. When I was young, I was told to pick one thing in life and be the very best you can at that one thing. Unfortunately for everyone around me, I picked asshole. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't mean it that way. I just meant that. I know, Jerry. You know, we used no, we used to like Pappy was it? I like Pappy and Pappy, Pappy, Pappy. Right? He's funny and all this stuff. But what I meant was, if you got to really know him. He was just, a, he was an asshole. I mean, he could be nice. He was nice and he was generous. Like, he was okay with that stuff, but he just, like, I, just, I don't know. I remember so, that. I remember. And when the fact that he wouldn't let you come to the house anymore, that's another thing. It's like, really? That's ridiculous. You know, it's like, that's just being a. That's what I meant by that. I didn't mean yeah, no, hey, I don't care. One thing I have. One thing I've cultivated, you know, and had to cultivate being smaller than most people, is I have a very tough skin. Uh, So, and I obviously didn't take it negative anyway. Well, no, I didn't mean it. Yeah, I know you didn't. No, seriously, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. I just wanted to know. I know. Well, I just wanted. I just wanted to. Oh, say, I haven't seen you in years. I might as well piss you off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has been years since the brothers have seen each other. Although they live just a few hours apart, 
Jerry and Paul are happy keeping to themselves. Well, the clients are like that. Like, honestly, like the clients are like that. They just don't go. They just don't visit each other. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about stuff. Like, that's, that's just the way it's always been. They just don't, like, mm -hmm. like, my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, like, my Uncle Jim, my Uncle Jim and, and my, uh, I guess Uncle Bob showed up. I'd, they sat there and they brought a cake, I guess, or Doris, I guess, was there. I don't remember. See, I, I but didn't. They brought a cake, but that was it. It was like in the kitchen, just sitting there, and they're like, "Oh, okay," and the cake, and that was it. Was I like, mean, I wasn't even invited or anything. But nobody had, nobody's, nobody heard about that. Like nobody cares. Like, like, and I, seriously, I don't really. No, I honestly, don't. It doesn't bug me. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. It's like, it's like just don't have to have like these big family mm -hmm. things. It's like if you're doing okay, you're fine, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not like Jay Jay's kin. They're always, you know, well, when are you coming over? Yada yada yada. And we're over at her sister's place like I don't know, 15, 20 times a year. And her mother comes in from wherever her mother thinks I'm like the cream of the crop. God, what a foolish woman. As we started to wrap up the interview, the one next to our family's final resting place, we hear a sad, familiar song come floating across the cemetery. From where we were, perched up on the hill overlooking the rest of the land, we could see across to the other side. A funeral was starting, and a bugler had begun to play taps. A little while yet. The three of us instinctively fell silent and stood. Right then, I could only think of the tragic events that led to this day. To this moment, where my father and uncle stood solemnly together next to the graves of their parents and baby sister. For most of my life, their deaths were such an abstract thing to me. Because I never knew them, I was only able to feel their loss in the most intangible ways. But for my dad, their absence has always been very, very real, amplified by people's unwillingness to talk about them. Sometimes, he felt so in the dark that he questioned whether or not the accident even happened. It's kind of weird when you don't see facts or newspaper articles or anything because you you try to you start to believe that it didn't really happen like someone's just telling you a lie like like they still could be alive um because you don't see any facts like everybody's telling you that it happened but you don't see like newspaper articles or no actual physical proof no one is showing you anything so like like there's kind of like you think that that they're still around somewhere and that like it was a mistake or like they gave you up or something like that but I mean it it's like um, after a while then you you know you realize talking like nobody wanted to talk to me about it because you know they didn't want to upset me or whatever so 
it was kind of hard but you like you kind of you're kind of hoping it's not true but it is so it was this doubt that led my dad to the library when he was in college back to the microfiche archive he left empty-handed but over two decades later he was the first person i called when i found the name of the driver that took his family's lives thomas leon kaler before anyone else I sent him the screenshots from Google Maps of the place where his house in California once stood. And my dad was the first to know that his family wasn't Tommy's only victims. Because all those years we thought, we were told, that there was only one person in that southbound car, a lone driver. But as it turns out, there were three. That's next time on Here's What I've Heard. Here's What I've Heard is produced by Courtney Abood and Craig Brown. Musical direction was provided by Julia Cannon, featuring Bobby Steinfeld on piano. Big thanks to our patrons. To be a patron and gain access to exclusive content, including a look at Jerry's time in the Glee Club and Paul's retelling of a reunion he will never, ever forget, visit patreon.com slash here's what I've heard. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash here's what I've heard. Or visit Here's What I've Heard.com and choose Donate from the menu.